0: You're listening to American Student Radio on WIUX LP Bloomington. I'm Emily Miles. I'm Sarah Panfill.
1: I'm Sophia Salaby. And I'm Angela Bautista, and we're some of the executive producers of American Student Radio, a student-led podcasting group here at Indiana University.
0: We know you haven't heard from us in a while, but we're trying out some new things. Should we tell the people what that means? Like a show once a month rather than once a week, which means that you won't hear from us as often, but we hope that the stories we tell will be better and more thoughtful.
2: We're also building our shows around challenges or projects rather than themes. We're giving our producers a constraint or element they have to include in their pieces.
3: That's right. We're gonna kinda stop ripping off this American life. Our first challenge is all about the five senses. We told our producers to think of stories that wouldn't just appeal to the ears, but to all the
0: feels.
1: Every single feel?
0: More or less. We have a great show lined up, so stick around. From mm, (laughs) Bloom, From,
3: uh, live? What is it?
0: Oh, ready?
4: Should I do it again?
1: From Indiana University in Bloomington.
4: From Indiana University in
3: Bloomington.
1: This is- This is- This is American Student Radio.
3: Real chill. Real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians.
0: We begin this show on the bus. I hate the bus. Do you, do you hate the bus? Sometimes I like the bus, except when you have to be somewhere in a timely manner.
3: Yeah, like, that's the problem. Sometimes you have to rely on it because there's, like, no other option. But what does it actually mean to rely on public transportation?
2: Producer Carly Van Cleve found the sounds, stories, and voices of the downtown Bloomington public bus system.
5: Because it gives me to my, my, uh, my scheduled treatment at the hospital every day, every week, every week, Monday through Friday, you know, and it's important to me to get there because I can't afford a car. So, you know, the bus is really saving me a lot of a lot of money. It's, uh, it's my only way to get my shopping done and pay my bills. As years go by, people come and go.
1: I mean, for how I kind of run things or get around town, there really hasn't been any sort of real complications for me. I can't really say the same for uh, how other people would experience that, but uh, I mostly kind of am able to time out, like, when the bus is coming, where I'm supposed to be, at what time, and uh, I do have that kind of rhythm going. Without the bus, my legs would be a lot more tired, and I would actually have a need for a car.
4: I had a stroke. I don't drive anymore. I do get rides a lot, but I take the bus at least three or four days a week. Most of the time they have seating easy
2: for walkers or
4: wheelchairs,
3: whatever. I'm across <laughs> once in a while so yeah, you every day. Now yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if you're
0: That was our producer, Carly Van Cleave.
3: So let's start talking about visuals. When was the last time a piece of art really grabbed your imagination? Did it change the way you saw the world, the way you saw your country, the way you
2: saw yourself? Wait, 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 Sarah. Do memes count? Because memes change how I see myself. Mm,
3: Yeah, I believe that. But what we're talking about is something more lofty, Sophia. In this next piece, following in the tradition of Exphrasis, a literary response to a visual work of art, Chitra Vandantam explores the life of one painter and how he shaped perception of the American West during the 19th century. Music in this piece comes from freesound.org.
6: The painting looks like something out of a fantasy novel. I can feel my eyes following the diagonal composition, first the deer at the bottom right, surrounded by lush green grass and a clear river. Following the deer's gaze along the bank of the river, I see a stand of trees. They are green and darkly shadowed, with the exception of one in the middle, which is a warm yellow, flecked with red and touched by light, a little bit of autumn. Follow the light across the water to the soaring, cathedral rocks, interspersed with small waterfalls. They are almost obscured by the billowing, majestic clouds that rest on the peaks and send tendrils of fog down towards the water at the foot of the rocks. I can feel the height of these rocks, how they dwarf the trees and the deer. The detailed brushwork lets me imagine brushing my hands across the rough, sun-warmed stone. Lastly, peering through the clouds and fogs, I look to the top left at the white peaks of distant mountains. The painting is at once surreal and photographic. This is Rocky Mountain Landscape, painted in 1870 by Alfred Bierstedt. It hangs in the White House, and you can see it on the White House website. This is one of many paintings created during this time period that depict the natural beauty and alluring danger of the American West. Albert Bierstadt was born on January 7, 1830 in Prussia. A year after he was born, his family moved to New Bedford, Massachusetts. The young Albert showed an early affinity for art, first with his crayon sketches and then with oil paints that he was later known for. From his infancy to his early 20s, Bierstad was surrounded by news of new and exciting things happening in his country. After all, this was a time when the U.S. was stretching outwards, and the West was entering the minds of the public. In 1853, while the territory of Washington was being created from the territory of Oregon, Bierstad traveled back to Germany to learn the latest techniques from the European masters. While there, he discovered his love of landscapes amid the frigid cold of the Swiss Alps. His paintings of the Alps gained him a very positive reception when they were presented in the United States in 1858 and earned him entry into the Hudson River School, a talented group of artists focused on new techniques for painting nature. Bierstadt became obsessed with capturing the majestic crags and play of light on water. Even as conflict was rising, and Abraham Lincoln was expressing his concerns about a house divided, Bierstadt's prospects were looking up. Barely a year later, Bierstadt finally went west. There, he made sketches that would become the inspiration for many finished works. He fell so much in love with the west that he traveled there again in 1863, this time in the company of Fitzhugh Ludlow, a well-known explorer and writer. Thanks to Little's writings about their travels, people flocked to see, and buy, Bierstadt's paintings, and in 1863, Bierstadt was at the height of his career. But things took a turn for the worst when the Civil War began raging full force. The public interest in the West, and art about it, waned significantly in the face of the deadliest war to ever take place on American soil. Bierstadt managed to escape, hiring someone to replace him in the draft. And even though public interest had waned, the majesty of the mountains still held him, and during this time he finished Rocky Mountain Landscape and traveled through Europe. The works he made there sold beautifully, and his success spread after the Civil War ended. It seemed that after the war, Bierstadt would go back to being the successful artist he had been before, But towards the end of the 1870s, his contemporaries attacked his work. It glorified the West as a promised land and extolled the ideas of manifest destiny and American exceptionalism. But the country was just recovering from a civil war, and better mail systems were spreading the news of an unforgiving and wild land, very different from Bierstadt's paintings. Many took exception to his romantic and almost theatrical style. In addition, Bierstadt's grandiose subjects were matched by his entrepreneurial flair, and he sold tickets, postcards, and prints of all his most popular works, what one critic called a vast machinery of advertisement and puffery. In addition to this criticism, there was little interest in epic landscapes, and by the time of his death in 1902, he was all but forgotten. Art has the ability to shape our perspectives, and in the 19th century, it was one of the only windows people had into the rest of the world. Nobody can deny that Albert Bierstadt made beautiful art, and his technical mastery was, and still is, very much admired. But looking at it another way, he sold an idea about America. He sold hope, aspiration, and a confirmation of the idea that America's future is bright. And these are all good things. But that image was idealized, some even say theatrical. It was staged, a carefully constructed image that filtered all of the harshness and misery that the Western expansion entailed. And there's something to be said about how easy it is to buy into a beautifully constructed story. After all, Bierstad was among the lucky artists who enjoyed wild commercial success during his lifetime. People were buying his art and his ideas along with them. And this was not just a 19th century problem. We too enjoy our world through filters. Whether self-imposed or catered by algorithms, we use these filters to choose what news, media, opinion, and art we consume. And this in turn shapes our perspectives, just like the beautiful paintings of Bierstadt. For American Student Radio, I'm Chitra Vedantham.
1: We can't do a five-senses show without a piece about the one sense that makes it all possible. Hearing.
0: This week's show is brought to you by hearing. Hearing. It's what your ears do. Thanks, ears.
1: Producer Sophia Mustin traveled abroad last year in Lima, Peru. When you live somewhere new, it can feel thrilling. Every moment, every sight, and every sound seems to mean something more and stay with you, seared into your memory long after you left.
0: Sarah and our other Sophia here in the studio, you both studied abroad last year. Would you say that's true? Uh,
2: I don't know. I guess I can still hear the sounds of Morocco, if I'm being honest, of hot mint tea being poured into glasses, my host sister laughing at how I'm being stupid, and like the call to prayer five times a day.
3: Yeah, same. I I almost feel like I can hear the little old ladies chatting arm in arm, walking down these narrow cobblestone streets, the sound of wide-rimmed red wine glasses clinking, the smooch (laughs) sound of a kiss on each cheek.
1: Well, Sofia got accustomed to the loud noises of Lima, but she really learned something more once it got quiet.
5: In Magdalena del Mar, Lima, my host mother is well known as the woman who shoes idling buses away. In the early hours of morning, I hear the buses roar to life and drive away, out of earshot. Soon, their sound is replaced. Pigeons flapping away from their roosts. The neighbors conversing, their words audible through thin walls. A bucket of water dumped into the courtyard. At 7 a.m., the market opens. Buses, haggling people, barking dogs, car alarms flood into my room. Dilsia's radio spouts evangelical preaching over the sound of breakfast plates meeting the table. Every day, from sunrise to 11 p.m. or so, Lima is alive with noise. But then comes Sunday, October 22nd, 2017. And it's disquieting, this soundlessness. I emerge into the streets to run. Then I begin to hear them. The all but imperceptible sounds of a city withdrawn from. The soft paw steps of a stray dog I called Paula. The sound of a telenovela emanating from my neighbor's apartment. A woman calling down the street to her friend as she waters her flowers. One small mototaxi sputters past in violation of the no-movement order. Several blocks farther, the waves of the ocean crashing against a thousand rocks. All these sounds of life that I could never hear before over all the noise. Had I not known it was the day of a national census, I would have believed I'd stepped into the twilight zone. All Peruvian residents were ordered to stay inside their homes from morning to evening, waiting for the census canvassers to arrive. Hospitals, airports, and some police stations were open, but none of the businesses that usually make Magdalena del Mar so rambunctious absolute silence on the day of the census was compelling because here's the thing. Limeños aren't the type to comply with a rule just because it exists. On roads lined with "Sacala la mano del claxon or take your hand off the horn signs, Limeño drivers honk and yell and nudge their way through traffic. Students regularly arrive an hour late to two hour university classes without explanation. What made people on census day suddenly decide to obey the rules, to close themselves up inside their houses. Certainly, it couldn't just be the threats of enforcement. No, it's because they were finally being recognized. Since colonization, Peruvian native communities have endured a process of castellanización, efforts to fit them into the cultural linguistic mold set by Spanish settlers. That process didn't end after independence in 1821. It's so deeply ingrained that, according to the World Bank, 13% of Quechua speakers don't want to pass the language on to their children. But things are changing.
1: las preguntas que incluye el censo 2017 es la referida a la autoidentificación étnica cómo nos vemos a nosotros mismos la pregunta específicamente es la siguiente por sus costumbres y sus antepasados usted se siente o considera y ahí están las alternativas soy blanco quechua aymara afrodescendiente A rough explanation
5: In 2017 for the first time ever Peruvian census takers asked residents about their ethnic background were they of Quechua or Aymara native descent were they Afro Peruvian? Something else altogether that they wished to describe in their own terms? Peruvians were ready to
7: answer.
5: <inaudible>
2: Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music in this piece, Olivia Downing for some of the recordings, and Emily Miles for editorial leadership. Some of the sounds in this piece were gathered from freesound.org. Check the SoundCloud posting of this episode for the full list.
4: The noises in Bloomington, Indiana, are what you'd expect of a college town. If you walk down 3rd Street on a nice day, you could hear fraternity brothers partying. You might hear yelling, trap music, debauchery, you know. The usual. The usual. And if you've lived in Bloomington long enough, you know the tornado sirens go off on the first Friday of every month. And the quietest place in town might be sitting on the edge of Lake Monroe. But when was the last time you heard something you've never heard before? What if I told you Bloomington doesn't sound as typical as I've made it out to be? What if I told you there are sounds in this college town that are unexplainable? Sounds that can keep you up at night. Sounds that run deep into your body. Producers Rick Brewer and Ayub Laswed tell you the story of a beat in the night.
7: Ayub Laswed.
8: I am a PhD uh, student here in the uh, um, School of Optometry.
7: Ayub has been a Bloomington resident for several years and recently moved near Memorial Stadium after having lived on the quiet east side. And when he decided to make the move, Ayub didn't realize what he was getting himself into. Despite having gone to multiple universities around the world, he has little experience living around a party atmosphere.
8: But I've never lived in a place where there were parties around me. You know, so I had never had to worry when I was at home about parties surrounding me.
7: Do you think the real estate agent kind of just, or the landlord just kinda got you in, got you out before he saw anything maybe?
8: Yeah, so, so it was not the landlord, it was um, the previous renter who wanted to sub lease, you know, for the short time where I was there. It was good, I thought it was good. I asked the question if uh, she had any problems. She she said, no, everything is good. Everything was great for her. (laughs) They are very consistent about partying, I thought. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so every weekend, if the weather is uh, good enough, people will go out and party, which was very surprising for me. I I thought, I (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I never thought that, you know, Americans are So, like, consistent about partner like every weekend. (laughs) So uh, the place where they have their uh, bonfire is, I would say, two meters away from my window.
7: That's very close. But one night last November, Ayub heard something strange in the dead of night. Something he's never heard before, coming from outside. And to his surprise, it wasn't his neighbors. In fact... He claims the entire neighborhood was quiet.
8: So that night I went to bed at around, I would say, midnight as usual. Surprisingly, there was uh, nothing when I went to bed.
7: There, your neighbors weren't playing music. Yeah, either.
8: there were. So it was great. I thought it was, uh, it was my night. A night, of, a night of peace. A night of peace, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is rare for me. So I appreciated it. And um, I slept right away. And then at 3 a.m., something woke me up. Just something weird that woke me up.
7: Um, It was like a beat. How would you describe it to us? Uh,
8: Simply, it was a beat. It was just a beat
7: sound. Like how how did it sound?
8: Boom. 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 Uh, I didn't know where it Bum. was coming from. It was the first Bum. time I I, um, I think Bum. I heard this sound like that, that deep sound. It was very Bum. deep sound. Boom. I could even feel it in my body. It was not only the ears. So what I did is I I tried to cover my ears, put myself back to sleep. But it didn't work. (laughs) The sound was there, still there, even when I covered my ears. Um, What I usually do in this kind of um, situation is that I go to the fan and increase the setting, you know, to the highest so that... um, uh, hoping that the noise coming from the no- from the fan will cover any outside um, party noise Boom. Boom. Uh, i think Boom. my bed was shaking for sure Boom. Boom. why why doesn't this sound go away when Boom. i put the high fan on when i cover Boom. my ears it must be somewhere Boom. close to coming from somewhere Bum. close to where I am Bum. so I, I want to check the, the other rooms I want to check Bum. the uh, bathroom I want to check the Bum. kitchen the living room Bum. and uh, make sure that there, there were no appliances Bum. on and it was all quite as usual um, but what I noticed though was that the shaking Bum. in the other rooms w- was not as strong as in my room Boom. It was even like I, I couldn't even feel it in the other rooms. I could only feel it in my room.
7: Ayub did what most of us would do in this situation. He went to Google and typed in various searches like annoying sound, loud bass tone in the night. And he eventually stumbled onto a Google thread. Turns out a lot of people have had a similar experience. And they all told him to go outside and investigate and that certain gadgets with long antenna can help locate the source of the sound.
8: I think it was enough annoying for me to to, to, to go outside and try to find out where it was. Uh, So what people described in this thread was that if you go, you have to try to feel if the sound is increasing or decreasing as you go, as you move. And that will give you a rough idea of the direction where you should go, right? So I tried to do that. I went outside, 3 a.m., trying to feel the vibes in the street. <laughs>
7: Did you put your ear to the ground or anything?
8: No. <laughs> it would have been gross. But <laughs> So after a while, I think I gave up. Yeah, I just gave up. Mm. Yeah, I wish I had this antenna.
7: So you were essentially unable to find the source of the sound.
8: Boom. Boom. Yeah, I was unable to
7: find out. Boom. 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 Music in this piece comes from Blue Dot Sessions. For American Student Radio, I'm Rick Brewer along with Ayub Lasued.
8: I'm going to have problems with my neighbors, I think, (laughs) if they hear this podcast.
3: (laughs) That's it for today's show. You'll be hearing more of us throughout the semester with our monthly
0: challenges. But don't fret. We'll also be putting out additional American Student Radio content every now and then, so keep listening.
1: You'll hear some amazing interviews, old shows revisited from the ASR archives, and even some bonus challenges. So for American Student Radio, this has been Sophia,
0: Emily, Sarah, and Angelo. We love you. Bye.
3: Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunomatic. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash american-student-radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.